Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from the Mississippi Office of Homeland Security with a reminder that you can report suspicious behavior to law enforcement or a person of authority by calling 1-888-4-SAFE-MS. Public safety is everyone's responsibility. If you see something, say something. Good morning. It's 8.30. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a new approach to drug court and families on the Gulf Coast. I have said since I took the bench that we had a drug problem in Hancock County. It's overwhelming. And I know that because we were drug testing all the parents that came in if there were any allegations. But it became even more important and salient to me when we started testing kids. Then more test scores from the State Department of Education. How is your child affected? And gridiron action kicks off for most high schools across the state. Tonight we'll tell you how to stay up on the latest. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A new committee has been created to look into drug abuse by parents who appear in youth court on the Gulf Coast. Headed by Mississippi Supreme Court Justice Michael Randolph, the committee is is in response to a recent report by the Hancock County Youth Task Force that 75 percent of cases seen by the court involve drug use by parents. Child Protective Services Commissioner David Chandler tells MPB's Evelina Burnett the committee will look first at the Gulf Coast, but it doesn't end there. Representative David Barry and I are longtime friends. He's a terrific uh, representative. He also did an outstanding job um, um, chairing this task force. Here's the primary thing I think we learned from the task force report. That is, there are a lot of variables that affect the reason children come into the custody of, of the state. The number one primary reason is abuse of drugs by their biological parents. Over 75% of the children in custody in Hancock County are there because of drug abuse by their parents. And um, so do you have any thoughts on what the Department of Child Protective Services can do about this? Well, uh, we can continue to uh, bring the children into custody and see that they are properly cared for and that they are safe. But here's, here's, I think, the key to this report. And that is my conversation yesterday with Chief Justice uh, William Waller, who announced that he is appointing 
Justice Randolph, Justice Mike Randolph, to chair a committee to determine what can be done about the abuse of drugs by these young biological parents. I'm also pleased to announce that uh, he informed me that the First Lady, Ms. Deborah Bryant, will be a member of that uh, committee. I've talked with Ms. Bryant. She is excited about it. I've talked with Justice Randolph. Justice Randolph, as you know, I served on the court with him for a number of years. He's one of the most capable jurists I've ever known. But, but here is his greatest strength. When he takes on a problem, it's like flying an airplane to him. He is totally focused. It's all energy, and it's get the job done. So I expect great things will be coming from uh, his committee. Are they going to be looking at uh, statewide or just Hancock County or or uh, the coast? Well, based on my conversation with Justice Randolph, you know, he lives on the coast. Uh, Justice Randolph has a house here, and when I talked with him yesterday, he was on his bicycle. He had ridden his bicycle to Gulfport from his home, and I understand from him that's that's no uh, small, uh, short distance. So uh, I'm sure they'll be... Uh, concentrating on the coast initially, but I expect what they arrive at, the solutions that they um, determine are proper and the way to solve these problems will be something we can use uh, statewide, probably nationwide. MPB's Evelina Burnett with Child Protective Services Commissioner David Chandler. Hancock County Youth Court Judge Elise Dino tells MPB's Evelina Burnett the problem of drug abuse by parents in youth court needs to be addressed. I have said since I took the bench that we had a drug problem in Hancock County, and I'm certainly not saying it's different than any other county, but it was, it's overwhelming. And I know that because we were drug testing all the parents that came in if there were any allegations. Um, But it became even more important and salient to me when we started testing kids and realized that almost every child that came out of a home where either parent used methamphetamines was positive for meth. So I have, at this point, I think 160 kids that are babies that have tested positive for methamphetamine. So that's when, to me, it became a big deal that you can't say my drug use doesn't affect my child because we now know that if someone's doing drugs, it absolutely affects their child, particularly if it's something dangerous. And so the research that they did about the statistics was great for me um, because I think it's all about helping people. And in all of this task force, what it did was bring attention to the problem. So, for example, because of that, if someone had a drug problem in my court and said, I want help, I couldn't get them. It would be very difficult to get them help. Well, because of this and because of the attention, the uh, Crossroads gave us an IOP program. So we have an IOP program in Hancock County. What is IOP? Intensive outpatient program. So for kids who have drug problems, then they can, um, you know, get assistance. We didn't have that before, which is great because before they had to go to Crossroads or somewhere out of the county. And the reality is a lot of these people don't have the financial means to do that. And so to, to make that, it makes it worse. You know, so now we have it in-house in county, and I think that's going to continue to grow. They're going to hire another counselor, and so I'm, I'm very excited about that. So those kinds of things, it's all about helping these families and helping these kids. And so to get all of that 
you know, to have people calling me and saying, is there something we could do, is phenomenal. So that's why opening the door and saying, hey, here's what the real problem is, is just incredible. Even though, for me, it's always a little bit uncomfortable because it's the peer report, and then it's the task force. I'm like, who else? The FBI is coming to, you know. But it's awesome because it brings attention to what the problem is, and it gets people thinking about it, talking about it, and offering to help. And literally, this community is phenomenal. And the state's been incredible as well. Well, the peer report that you mentioned um, said that the drug, they didn't find that the drug problem was any different than any other place, and that and they attributed the high number of children in custody to other things, including the way the court and DHS were working together. What, what were your thoughts on, on their findings? Are you about the peer report? Okay, so I, I disagreed very vocally with the peer report, and it's mainly because we do do different drug testing. I, I do more aggressive drug testing here than I think they do in other counties. In fact, that I know they don't do it in other counties. And I'm not suggesting they're not doing it right. But the reality is if my job is to protect kids, I'm playing a game with their life if I don't know all the facts. So if I have a report and you are running naked down the highway, there's a good chance, unless you have a severe mental health problem, that there were drugs involved. So let's just make sure that's not a problem, because if it is, I want to fix it. So those, that child does not come back into custody and get re-traumatized. And so I took, I took, I very much disagreed with their assertion that it wasn't worse. I do think that what Judge Zeckler said is absolutely correct. If we did the same drug testing in every county in the state, we would see the same numbers. We, I don't think ever, all the drug addicts live in Hancock County at all. We have phenomenal people here. It's just that it comes down to what is a priority for you. And for me, to ignore that is, is playing a game. And it's, it's not fair to the kids. What about, um, have you changed something in terms of the way the drug testing is done and the cost to the uh, families? What we've changed is the initial drug screens are all paid for now by the Department of Human Services. Generally, the court pays for it and they reimburse us, but it is not a cost that the, the parent incurs initially. And that's important because if, for example, the reality is we have an anonymous reporting system, and we should. I don't want to change that. But if I called and said, hey, you know, Ms. Burkhardt's doing drugs, you would have to take a drug screen and you have to incur the cost of that, even though, in all fairness, it could be just that I'm mad at you, right? So with DHS pay inform, if someone's not positive for drugs, it closes the case and it goes on. Whereas before, if I called somebody in for a drug screen or DHS did and they didn't come, they had no choice but to set it for court because the parent's not being cooperative. Well, maybe they're not being cooperative because literally they don't have $35. That's a lot of money for someone who's on Social Security or awaiting Social Security. So doing that has solved a lot of that problem. Um, And it also gives us where we are, which is phenomenal. So have you been able, have you seen the number of cases go down or the number of cases that are closed increase? So I think what's happening is DHS is so staffed up now, which is phenomenal, that they are working the cases harder, and so they're closing faster. I don't think we're taking less kids per se into custody. I think what's happening is what used to be, you know, John Doe comes into custody on January 1st, and he doesn't get out until July of the next year. He's now coming in January 1st, and he may get out in June of the same year because his, you know, someone's working with his parents, making sure they're doing what they need to. We have a parent rep who's here. She's fabulous and making sure she's calling her clients and saying, have you done your parenting classes? Have you done your whatever? And so that keeps everybody on track. MPB's Evelina Burnett with Hancock County Youth Court Judge Elise Dino on the importance of addressing drug use by the parents who appear in youth court. A new committee is looking into the issue in that county. Up next, more test scores from the State Department of Education. How is your child affected? This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
I'm Peter O'Dowd. Millions of kids still live in homes without Internet access, putting many low-income students behind at school. Some districts are looking for answers. We put what they call digital kiosks and hotspots in low-income housing so that when students got home, they could continue the learning, do their homework, accelerate their learning. That's next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from C Spire Business Solutions, helping businesses move into the future with next-generation fiber-optic Internet access. More at 855-C-SPIRE-2. C Spire, customer-inspired. MPB is getting its very own car tag. But first, we need your help. To begin production, we need 300 of you to say yes to the tag. Go to mpbonline.org slash car tag for more information and also to sign up. A portion of the fee goes to help MPB continue to educate, inform, and entertain Mississippians. Thanks for your help, and we'll see you on the road. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Students scored about the same or slightly better on the new Mississippi Assessment Program, or MAP, test than a previous one, according to officials from the State Department of Education. MAP is designed to be as difficult as the previous Partnership for Assessment of Readiness for College and Careers Test, or PARC. Students took MAP during the 2015-16 school year. State Superintendent Carrie Wright tells MPB's Desiree Frazier 66% of students scored at level three on the MAP. Well, it's a good assessment of where our children are scoring in terms of uh, all the standards we've been teaching. So the teachers go out and teach the standards each and every day. And then one time a year, we get an opportunity to see where are they falling in terms of their performance. So the good news for us is that the majority of our children, 66% of our children, are scoring three or higher. The even better news is that we've got a whole lot of kids that are scoring at four and five. So four is proficient, five is advanced. So that's the reason we separate the fours and the fives. The good news for that bulk of threes is that those are children that have a tremendous amount of knowledge, but they're not quite at the proficiency level. So what you're, that, those would be children you definitely want to focus on in order to get to proficiency much quicker. What Dr. Bowden was also pointing out, we've got a small percentage at one um, overall, but you've got the districts, as you saw up there, there are several districts that have the majority of their children at levels one and two. That's significant. And so um, we need to be thinking about how do we help those schools, how do we help those children. Um, overall, I'm delighted with the results. I think we have, um, in most cases, eked up, if you will, uh, more kids in fours and fives less kids in ones and twos. And I think as a as an overall feeling for this, I think our teachers are doing an amazing job out there teaching very uh, rigorous standards. And so this lets us know that it's working. It's working. What is the significance for school districts? How should they look at this information? They should be looking at each individual child's in information. Each district got student-level data. And so if, when I was a principal, when I, my data came back in, I'll personalize it, uh, I looked at where children were scoring. And, and by, by grade or by subject, whatever it it happened to be. And then you sit with your teachers and go over the same kind of data. So we have have an individual student report that's going to go home to every parent, and it's going to say these are the areas that your child did well, 
these are the areas that they need to improve. And so a teacher can take that, her reports or his reports, typically a little bit more detailed, but then they can start designing lessons around that so that they're ready for children immediately uh, in terms of providing whatever interventions are needed. For students who scored level one, how do you approach that and deal with those school districts that are in the bottom? Well, the children that are in level one need a tremendous amount of help. I mean, those, I mean, a tremendous amount of help. And so I think as a school, you have to look at what reading interventions or math interventions are you putting in place? Um, how are you even providing one-on-one instruction? Um, and you need to look historically over um, some of these students, particularly students in elementary school, to ensure that are we, are we missing something? Do they need to be referred to, you know, a teacher uh, support team? Do they need to be referred uh, for somebody just to take a look at it? Are we missing something in terms of a disability. So it's significant information, but it's not an automatic, these kids must be in special ed. It's not that. I think you have to gather information, look at trend data over time to see what's been happening. But for a principal, a principal needs to go in those classrooms and say, what's the teaching look like, right? So are the teachers teaching to the standards? How are they grouping and regrouping children? How are they monitoring children's progress? Um, are we providing parents some help with, to help them at home? Uh, do we have some you know, tutors that we can bring in? Uh, so it's, it's you're really having to look at it holistically, and but you really have to have that that individual face uh, to know exactly what you, the services that you need to be providing. How does this measure up to the park test? Is this a better test? Is it? Uh, how, how are you feeling about how it's measuring? Uh, it was designed to mirror the rigor. Uh, and difficulty of PARC, no doubt. Uh, PARC measured um, college and career-ready um, standards. This test measures college and career-ready standards. Uh, and what you saw in the results, that in some cases we came about even with PARC, and in other cases we did better. Um, I think part of our writing, um, according to our teachers, is probably more rigorous um, than the writing portion on the PARC. Um, and that they helped design, so that was, uh, you heard Dr. Bowden refer to that, uh, teachers set a very high bar. Um, you know, for this uh, in terms of passing, and particularly you saw it in English 2. I think English 2 last year at Park was at 49%, and I think this year it's somewhere around 36 37%. So um, that was, a, I think that you'll see that as a result. But this becomes really a baseline for us, too, because, uh, as Dr. Bodwin said, the true measure of this assessment is going to be when we test this spring, because then you will have had spring to spring, map to map, and then you'll be able to have a, a real true comparison. But it's very similar. It's very similar. MPB's Desiree Fraser with State Superintendent of Education, Carrie Wright. Up next, gridiron action kicks off for most high schools across the state tonight. We'll tell you how to stay up on the latest. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Well, the conventions are over. Candidates have been nominated. With less than three months to Election Day, we don't know what's going to happen between now and then. But whatever it is, we'll be here to help you understand it. Listen every day. Weekdays at 4 on MPB Think Radio. I'm Peter O'Dowd. Millions of kids still live in homes without Internet access, putting many low-income students behind at school. Some districts are looking for answers. We've put what they call digital kiosks and hotspots in low-income housing so that when students got home, they could continue the learning, do their homework, accelerate their learning. That's next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MVB Think Radio. The conventions are over, candidates have been nominated, and with less than three months to Election Day. You don't know what's going to happen between now and then, but we'll be here to help you understand it. Listen every day. Weekdays at 4 on MPB Think Radio. 
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The first pep rallies of the season are mostly in the can. A long, hot summer of training is done. And tonight, players across the state will hit the field to compete in Mississippi's premier obsession, high school football. Russ Robinson, host of MPB's Friday Night Under the Lights, stopped by to give us a preview of the high school football season. He says the game is better than ever because, and for good reason. I think there's a couple reasons. Number one, I think the kids are better. I think they're I think they're getting into it sooner than they used to. You know, I mean, gosh, I I really didn't get into to really playing football till I was in seventh grade. You know, we played at football when I was in fourth and fifth and sixth grade. But when we go and I got in seventh grade, you know, it was organized practices. We did all that. I think now you go and I see these these some small towns have their own little teams. Uh, I was going through one town the other day and saw a go post out in the field. I saw those little kids out there. And they were in the fifth, sixth grade. But they're learning to tackle, and they're learning to throw the ball, and they're learning to run with the ball. And so by the time you think about it, by the time they get to junior high, they've already got the basics and the fundamentals down. And so at that point, it just becomes a, a situation of numbers. How many kids go to my school? That's what school I'm going to be in. I'm not going to have to face South Panola if I'm a 2A school. Doesn't it also matter with coaching? Because there used to be the football coach, and but, now there is a coach, coaching staff on high school. Teams. Well, yeah, you just took my second point. It was coaching. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, that's okay. That <laughs> uh, shows that you're really on the ball when it comes to the stuff. I think coaching is a lot better, and and I think coaching is better because of what a lot of people don't know is that the, like the Mississippi High School Activity Association and the Mississippi Association of Coaches uh, are two organizations in our state. And they hold clinics throughout the year, and they bring in the college coaches and to speak to these high school coaches. And I just think that the coaching staffs are getting bigger and they're getting better. And kids that are going to uh, going to football practice are now in front of a of a coach that. And honestly, the, the, I'm not saying that the coaches before were not good. I'm just saying that they are learning today's football, and today's football obviously is different than it was ten years ago. So they're they're playing with coaches that. Uh, they're younger and they're and they're they're. And they like, have more tools at their disposal. Absolutely, and they use them. That's the that's the thing. But I think the MHSAA and the MAIS and the and the, and the Mississippi Association of Coaches, they're all doing a great job of educating their coaches. You know, every parent wants to know how his school, his kids' school did. Right. How do you get interest? beyond that you know that is a great question and we addressed that question two years ago because we you know as you know because this is where we are on <laughs> friday night at mpb if out of you know mpb and friday night on the nights are synonymous and um uh, we looked at that because we said, you know, after you get the South Panola score, what is going to keep you on the on the show listening to the show? And so what we've done because of social media, we've pushed people to the app and to the website to get the scores that they want. And then we give the scores twice an hour, but we push them to those two things because that's where social media is going anyway. Mm -hmm. And then what we've done with the rest of the hours is we've kind of made a football magazine out of it. We got, for example, a section now called Where Are They Now? And we take high school athletes that had a great career in high school and have gone on and, and done well in either in business or in college or whatever. And we talk to them and do an interview with them and we call it Where Are They Now? Um uh, and then we do a section on, excuse me, recruiting is real big. What did the most recruited athletes do in the state tonight? Well, people want to know that. And then we take the top 10 games, which we feel are the top 10 games of the week. doesn't matter whether it's 4A or 5A or private or whatever. What are the 10 hottest games that we thought were big that night? And we have reports on those games. 
And then we've now expanded in and started getting, instead of getting the sportscasters to call us, now newspaper writers, beat writers, and people like that are calling. And then, of course, we bring the coaches in. We have the coaches' corner. And funny story here, real quick. I'd called out Walnut High School scores for years. Never knew where Walnut, Mississippi was. <laughs> Had no idea. So we called the coach one day, and I said, uh, he answered, and I said, Coach, this is Russ Robinson for Friday Night on the Lights and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. We want you on Friday Night on the Lights this week. And he said, you want Walnut High School on Friday Night on the Lights? I said, yes. He said, wow. He said, that, he said man, everybody would be listening. I said, that's what I want. <laughs> but I said, first thing you got to tell me is, where in the world is Walnut High School? Well, when all he said, he goes, you go to Corinth and take a left, you know. <laughs> it really is Mississippi. And that's what we try to really bring to the show. And the neat thing about the show is that your smallest private school can get as much airtime as a South Panola. You know, we try to balance the scales. And now, and we haven't even addressed this, but now there's a lot of schools that are playing eight-man football because they don't have enough kids to put 11 kids on the field. So there's a whole section Does of that schools. mean everybody in that division has to play eight-man football? Yes. You can't play 11 versus eight. So that's eight. agreed on before the season Absolutely. begins. Absolutely. And you get scores like 96 to 84. <laughs> you know, and it's a lot of fun. It's a basketball it's game. It's a basketball <laughs> game playing pads. But, and, you know, they're out there drawing the plays in the dirt like we did in, 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 the, in the yard. But um, that's it's, it's balance, and it's and it's finding stories that that people want to hear about. And you know what? There's a lot of folks in their cars listening to MPB on Friday night from ten to twelve. Russ Robinson is the host of Friday Night Under the Lights, along with MPB's Jay White yep. and others. Uh, um, oh, the cast of thousands at no, the yeah, ready. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, it premieres tonight at ten o'clock. It runs ten to midnight every Friday night. So, That's Russ, right. thanks so much for coming in. Thank you so much, and we just we just love our association with MPB Think Radio. We hope you'll join us Monday morning for the next Mississippi edition here on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from the Mississippi Office of Homeland Security with a reminder that you can report suspicious behavior to law enforcement or a person of authority by calling 1-888-4-SAFE-MS. Public safety is everyone's responsibility. If you see something, say something. It's Marketplace Tax for Friday the 19th. I'm Ben Johnson in New York. 